You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. Jump back in. I say back in. If you've been following along the last couple weeks, I hope that's going all right for you. We we were in Ephesians, and then Josiah started us off into Lent, and we jumped into Lent, and then the next week we did Go Week, and we goed and we went, and now we're back again, and we are going to finish now the book of Ephesians before we, we head into Easter. So we're in the last chapter. This is kind of the final piece of it. want to read it to you in just a moment. What we're going to talk about this morning is really important. talks in these words about a battle. And this battle is not one that is, you know what, it happens every once in a while. If you're seeking to walk in faith with God, this is every day. This is what it looks like. A few years ago, I had the privilege of taking part in an awards ceremony. It was held at a Swiss medical and biological research center in the city of Abidjan in West Africa. And the ceremony was celebrating 50 years of medical research that was done in a partnership between the Swiss government and a Swiss university and the Ivoirian government and a university in Abidjan. And so they're celebrating this big event. And at the event, a Swiss bank, Ombard Odier, was offering a special scientific award as part of the occasion. I don't want you to think that I spend a lot of time going to research, medical research award ceremonies. I just happened to be there that day, didn't understand most of what they talked about, but I was there because a dear friend of mine was receiving the award that was being given that day, a dear friend, uh, Professor Ingoran Eliezer, and he was being awarded for his really excellent, amazing research that he had been doing with a team of people over like a five to ten year period. What were they researching? They were researching one parasite, a parasite that exists mostly in the southern part of Cote d'Ivoire, And for 10 years, they've been tracking this parasite. What did they do? Well, in that time period, they collected over 20,000 stool samples and over 10,000 urine samples. I know this sounds really exciting. It sounds really medical and technical, but when you hear him tell the story, it's actually kind of funny because you're going out to the village getting these stool samples, and then you got to get them five hours away by bus in a certain temperature, and if you don't get there, you got to go back and do it again. And I'm not going to tell you all those stories this morning. Here's the point. Why, why would somebody take 10 years of their life to do that? Studying some little parasite that you can't even see. Because the particular parasite that they were studying, when it gets inside of somebody's body, it's destructive. It it causes vomiting and diarrhea and fever and, and if untreated, death. To use a more layman's term, these little microscopic organism parasites, the word we use is a germ. They're everywhere. The fact that you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. 
They're in the air. They're in the water. They're on the doorknob in the bathroom at McDonald's. They're in your friends. They're everywhere. The fact that you can't see them doesn't change anything. So when those things get in your body, it, for the most part, we don't even think about them, but when, when they, well, I say we don't think about them. If you've ever watched Monk, there are some people who sit around and think about those things at every hour of the day, but for the most part, we don't sit around and think about it, but when your body gets tired or it gets weak, they can attack and do terrible damage. So what does that have to do with Ephesians chapter 6 that we're looking at this morning? Well, I want you to keep this image in mind as we talk this morning about the fight in our spiritual lives. Because this text is saying that all of us are in a battle for our faith. We actually have an enemy, and his name is Satan. Paul says that, that actually we're not struggling against flesh and blood, but the battle that we're in is against somebody we can't see with our physical eyes, but is very real. Now some people, when you talk about spiritual warfare, they think, oh, that's the stuff that happens in like Africa and Asia. Guess what? It's happening everywhere. And the battle is actually an everyday battle to walk in truth and faith. So I'm going to read the text, and I want to unpack it with you this morning. It's important for all of us. This is what he says. This is uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. He says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For actually, our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when you read this, you get this like cosmic picture of this is not mythical. This is, this is reality. This is what is happening every day. God, it says, lives in the heavenly realms. We don't, we're finite. We can't even understand that. But in that realm are, are angels, and, and he talks here about an enemy. He says that. There is an evil that is set against us. You're going, That's, come on. Seriously? Yeah. How else do you explain what you see with your eyes? 
if there's no evil, if there, there is. And so this battle is happening, it says, between the God of the universe who created us and loves us and this one who is our enemy, and we're caught in the middle of the battle. So who is he? Well, this is, this is what the scripture says. His name is Satan. He was an archangel, a created being by God, an, an angelic being. And the story says in the scripture that at a certain time, he turned against God. Why? Because he wanted God's place. Sound like anything you've ever heard before? We've been doing it ever since. You know what? We were the best ones to be God here. Well, he was the first one. And he turned and tried to overthrow God. That did not work. And he was not alone. He was with a whole host of angelic beings. And it says that, that they were cast from the presence of God. That's when the war began. So, there's this battle going on. Satan cannot win the battle. So what does he do? He turns on the people that God loves. That's us. And we're in this battle. So it says in the scriptures that when God created us, we were in full communion with, with him, walking stride by stride with him. And then this enemy entered into the story and a rebellion happened against God and separated us from him. So that's the picture of the story. That's who he is. Let me tell you who he's not. This enemy is a spirit, but he is not like God. He is not omnipresent. The scripture says that everywhere you go, God is there. If you go up to the mountains, he is there. If you go to the depths of the sea, he is there. If you go east, west, north, south, there is nowhere where you can go where he is not present. That is not true of Satan. He is an angelic being. He is not God. The second thing that he is not seems to indicate in the scripture, you will not find a verse that says the enemy is not omniscient. But if you look at the, the picture it paints of angelic beings, they are angelic, they are spirit beings, but they are not God. They, they are not omniscient. What does that mean? That means they don't know everything. God does. What you're thinking about right now, he knows. If you're thinking, this is the most amazing sermon ever, he knows. <laughs> if you're sleeping, he knows. <laughs> Satan doesn't. It, why is that important? Because he attacks us. It sometimes feels like he reads your thoughts, but he can't. But he does know everything about you because he knows your weaknesses. He knows your parents' weaknesses. He knows your uncle and aunt's weaknesses. He knows the whole story, and he uses those things against us. The third thing, and maybe the most important, is this is not an equal battle. This is not a questionable battle like, I wonder who's going to win. Satan has been soundly thumped by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, that doesn't mean there's no battle. It just means that, that he's already been beaten. It's not up to us to go fight him. It's up to us to walk in the victory that already is. So, 
Until the final victory, the scripture says, he works night and day to destroy everything that God loves. He attempts to keep people from seeing, people who don't know Christ, he attempts to blind them so they can't see. How else can you explain this? The God of the universe who lovingly creates us, who was separated from us, so he sends his son to die for us. He walks among us, he heals people, he sacrifices his life, and he was risen from the dead. That is amazing news. But that's not how most people perceive it. You know why? Because they can't see. You know why they can't see? Because they've been blinded. They've been lied to. So, blinds people that don't know Christ to the ones who do walk into faith in Christ. He does everything he can do to destroy their faith. So, how do you do battle against him? The one arm that he has that he's a master at is deception. He lies. He's called the father of lies. And he's really good at it. So what does he lie about? Well, one of the things he lies about is he convinces us that that what God said is maybe negotiable. Like, God didn't fully mean that. He kind of meant it, but that's a lot. Everything that God does and says is not up for negotiation. It's true. But he spends a lot of time trying to convince us, if you bend this one just a little, it's going to be fine. It's not. It's a lot. Second thing he tries to convince us of is that God actually isn't good. He, he always puts in question the goodness of God. Remember that in the garden? Did, did God really say? Seriously. What's he questioning? He's quite, it says here that we need to put on the armor of God for the day of trouble. Everybody is going to have a day of trouble. When you get in that day, what Satan's going to come at you with is the goodness of God. Is he really good? Really? It's a lie. He is profoundly good. The third lie is he tries to convince you that you're not loved. The cross answers the question of God's intent towards us forever. You can't stand at the cross and look at what Jesus did and wonder, I wonder how he feels about me. But Satan finds a way to lie to you and make you believe. Has this ever happened to anyone in here? You you hear him say to you, of course he he loves BJ. BJ's a great man. But you, I know you. And then he, I mean, he knows the whole story. It's a lie. So, how do you fight the lie? The scripture says when you let him in and you give him access and you listen to his craziness, he willingly comes in and begins to sow 
his deception. So this morning, I want to look at, from, from this sixth chapter of Ephesians, how do you win the fight? How do, you, how do you walk in this? What you do is you walk in what's already been done. The fight has already happened, and Jesus won the fight. And, and now he's inviting us to walk in that with him. So let me remind you, this book, this letter, was written to a church by the Apostle Paul. The first three chapters talk about who you are in Christ. That if you've come to Christ, an amazing thing has happened. He's not only come to live in you, but you live in him. He is seated right now at the right hand of God in the heavenlies, and you are there with him. That's what he says. And then he goes on in chapters 4 and 5. If that's true, then the way you walk should look really different should be marked by unity and maturity and purity and charity and right relationships in your family. That's what it would look like if Jesus came to live in you. So if you read the letter, you get to that point and you go, I'll oh, stink. I can't do any of that. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. That's the right answer. You can't. And you don't have to. You have to let him do it in you. And that's what this chapter is about. How do you walk daily in this and allow the living God to live through you? He says, finally, brothers, this is a battle. This is who you have become in Christ. The day is coming when you're going to live fully in his kingdom, but between now and then, you're walking in this kingdom where, where Satan is actually the prince of this world. So how do you walk in this with that in view? Tony Evans says, you already know the end of the story. It's like watching a football game, and you already know who won. And it's the team you're cheering for. No matter what happens in the game, you're like, well, actually, this might not work with the Browns. But, with, <laughs> but you know who's going to win. So when somebody fumbles, you go, that's really a bummer, but it's okay. Because I know who's going to win this thing. And, and, and we know who's going to win this thing. But we're walking in the daily battle. So first, he, he, there's three verbs in here, three things that he tells us to do. The first thing he says is be strengthened in the might of the Lord. This is the way he says it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's the same word that you find in the, in the first chapter when he talks about the fact that Christ is in us and we're in him and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. So he says, walk in that power. Often when people come to faith, they, they put their faith in Christ, the first thing that happens is joy. This is amazing. I'm forgiven. And then a few weeks go by and a few months, and then boom, they get blasted. Stuff starts going wrong, and they, temptation, and they, what, what happened? You're in a war. And the enemy of your soul wants to destroy what God has come to do. That's the battle. So he says, be strong in the might of the Lord. Don't focus on the battle. Don't focus on the enemy. Don't 
Just focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of the story. So he says, by Christ's mighty power. A lot of Christians wrongly think that their protection and their life is automatic. I'm in Christ, done. No. He says, put the armor on. You can stand there and hold a a weapon all you want. If you don't use it, it doesn't do anything. So he says, be strong in the might of the Lord. How do you do that? How do you walk in his mighty power? One word, you obey. You obey. When God speaks, you do what he says. When you do that, you will walk in his authority. When you take him at his word, when you trust what he says, when you take his word, Psalm 1 says, as precious to you, you now have his authority. And you can speak in his authority. Be strong in the might of the Lord. Then he goes on to say, put on the full armor of God. Really important. That's the next verb. Put on. He doesn't say think about, take pictures of, do a Bible study on it. He says put it on. Put on God's armor. Well, what's the point of the armor? Like, well, what? Well, it's an image that people in that day would have fully understood. When you go into a battle, you wear armor. So he's saying in this spiritual battle, these are the things that you need. And if you read these verses, I will tell you, everything you need to win this battle is right here. So what is it? Well, the first thing he says is, put on the belt of truth. The belt is the thing that goes around the middle. It kind of holds the whole thing together. So he says, what holds this whole thing together is truth. That's really important. If you want to fight Satan with your own power, good luck. Because you don't have the power that he does. There's a story in the book of Acts. Paul is casting out demons in Jesus' name. And there's a group of guys there that go, that is really cool. So they try And they go cast out a demon in Jesus' name. And the demon comes out, and the demon says, Ah, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. You guys. And he beats the the stuffings out of them. The truth. So he says, put on the belt of truth. What is truth? Truth is this absolute standard by which reality is measured. Truth, Tony Evans says, is what God sees. It's God's view on everything. Truth is not facts. Truth is this deep-rooted standard, if you will, by which everything is measured, and the standard is God. So, He says, when you walk in what's true, you're protected. Satan attacks with half-truth. He comes to us and he says things to us 
When I say Satan says things to us, what do I mean? You're not going to hear an audible voice. So how do you hear Satan? Well, it's all around us. Turn on the TV and just listen to the messages. Very few of them come from the truth of God. They're all kind of true, but it just comes at you all day long. Sometimes it comes directly to you in a thought. Satan puts it there to convince you of what's not true. So when you believe a half-truth, you begin to take a step into a dangerous place. Because the farther you step into what's a lie, the more you're in his camp. So whatever you believe that's not true enslaves you. In Genesis chapter 1, it talks about God creating the heavens and the earth. When it talks about God, the word that it uses is, is two words, the Lord God. So you, you read, the Lord God created, the, on the third day, the Lord God. On the fourth day, the Lord God. All that finishes, and now Satan comes to the garden to tempt Eve. Remember what he, he said about God? He dropped the Lord part off. He said, can we just have a conversation for a minute about God? When you take the lordship of God from him, you have just walked out of truth. The truth is, he is God. So, he says, put that belt on. You need to know the truth, Jesus says. When you know the truth, you will be free. Abraham Lincoln stood up towards the end of the Civil War and with the Congress declared the Emancipation Proclamation. One of the good days in our history. Enough already and freeze the slaves. That day, the slaves were free. There was a whole bunch of them that never heard that on that day. In fact, some of them, it took a year. Some places in Texas, it took a year and a half for them to hear this truth. They were already free, but they didn't know that truth because nobody told them. You're already free. You're already who God says you are. But it's when you walk in that that you're actually free. You will know the truth, and it will set you free. The second thing he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, that's the piece of armor that you wear over your chest, over your midsection. It protects against arrows and spears. Essentially what it's saying is it protects your heart. This is availing ourselves to the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed onto us. Do you hear this? The person who's saying this is a terrorist. Paul killed and massacred followers of Christ until one day on the road he met Jesus. How many of you here this morning would say, I'm righteous? We got nobody? My wife is righteous. Jeff is righteous. We got some righteous among us. You failed the test. 
All of us are righteous if we're in Christ. If you want to fight this battle in your own righteousness, good luck. When Satan comes to you and says to you, says to Paul, you're righteous? Let me give you the names of the people you killed. Really? And when he comes to you and, and pulls out his list, if you start arguing with him, the battle's lost. You got nothing. But if you just simply say, go talk to him. He's my righteousness. So he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't mean that you never sin or that you never... It just means that you're walking in the rightness that has been imputed to you by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. Romans 8.33, he says, Who will accuse the elect of God? Who can stand up and accuse you? He says, nobody. It's God that justifies. He talks about wearing shoes of peace that the feet that bring peace. In the armor, the, there was a protection for the feet, but part of the, it was also something that could, could help you to stand, make your, your foot sure. And, and the idea here is of standing in God's peace. In the day of trouble, he says, when that day comes, stand in the peace of your Lord. Then he goes on and he talks about the shield of faith. This is not like this mythical piece of armor. What it is is your belief and conviction about what God says. Faith at the end of the day is not really that complicated. Faith is not you going, I just, I, I just got to believe. I just, just got to believe this. I got to believe it. I got to believe it. I gotta. Faith is just actually saying this is what God said and doing it. So in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it talks about all these people of faith. It doesn't talk about how much they felt faith. It talks about what they actually did. He, he believed God, and he did what God said. She believed God and did what he said. So the, the, the image, the metaphor that the scriptures use to talk about faith, it talks about walking by faith. He doesn't say thinking by faith or feeling by faith. You walk by faith. God speaks and you trust and you do it. The image here is that it's your faith that protects you from flaming arrows sent by the enemy. What is that image? Well, flaming arrows aren't really aimed at your heart usually. They're not aimed like... They sent flaming arrows into buildings into, to start fires and destroy the atmosphere. So the enemy is trying to destroy your soul. So he says, hold up the shield of faith and block the arrows. So what would that look like? Somebody hurts you. They, they hurt you really profoundly. He says, hold up the shield of faith. What is that? That's what God said. God said, forgive. You can't read the New Testament and find a clause that gets you out of forgiving. 
There isn't one. Oh, no. If you, I mean, if this happened and it was, no. Forget. As Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. So faith is saying, I don't really feel this right now, but I'm just going to forget. You have just protected yourself from the fiery darts of Satan. Because when you say, I might do that, but I'll do it a little later, and you put the shield down, the fiery darts start finding their way into your soul. The darts of bitterness and revenge. Faith is what protects you. So faith is simply doing by faith what God says. Let me give you another example. The scriptures teach us to be givers, to reflect who God is. The point of giving is to not become greedy. You want to keep the, the, the fiery arrow of greed from getting in your soul? Give. That's why God teaches his people to give. Give a tithe. Give to God. Because when you do that, you remind your soul that everything in your hands belongs to him. And it takes envy and greed and takes it out of your soul. So, faith, the shield of faith, is simply doing by faith the things that God speaks in his word. The next thing he talks about is the helmet of salvation. What he's talking about is protecting your mind. He's talking about assurance. The assurance of God's forgiveness, the assurance of our identity with him, the assurance of all of those things, Satan attacks in your mind. So the protection is not what you did. The protection is not the list that you have. The protection is what he did. So he says, put on the helmet of salvation. So if you read these first four things that he talks about, all of them are defense. They're defending against the attacks that are coming at you. The shield of faith, the breastplate of, of righteousness. All of those things are to protect you. The fight is coming to you. Stand. This is what you have to stand in the fight. The last thing that he talks about is the sword of the spirit. That is the only weapon that you use to attack. And what is it? Well, it's God's word. It's not a formula. It's a conviction. So in Luke and in Mark, I believe it is, it talks about 40 days that Satan tempted Jesus. He came after him. Why? So if he could destroy the plan from the get-go, the whole thing would be in the water. And so he comes at Jesus. He says, for 40 days and 40 nights, he tempted Jesus. How did Jesus fight? The word of God. That's it. Satan is a liar. So you fight him with truth. Jesus didn't yell or scream. or He just said, well, actually, this is what God's word says. Three times. That's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That is why it is so important to know the Word of God. 
Because that is the sword. That is the power. So, first thing he says is be strong in the Lord. Second thing he says is put on the armor to protect yourself from, from the battle, from the arrows, from the attacks. The last thing he says, and he says it three or four times, is stand. 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 So, we're not supposed to go find Satan and crush him. We're supposed to stand in what Jesus already did. It's already done. He doesn't say, you know what, he's got this, go take a nap. Just hang until Jesus shows up. He says, stand. Put this stuff on and stand firm. When physically a germ infiltrates the defense systems, uh, your immune system, attacks your body, instead of being in control, the germ begins to take control in your body. How do you fight that? Well, if you go to the doctor, the doctor is going to say, you need to change the way you eat, you need to take this medication, you need to exercise, you need, you need to build up your immune system. If he tells you that on Monday, it's not going to be ready by Tuesday. He's not saying in this battle that there's these magic things that you do, that you hold up the name of Jesus or you hold this. No, no, no. This is something that you live in day in and day out. You trust him. You obey him. You walk in him. You stand. And as you do, your heart not only be protected, it, it, it will grow in faith. So let me use this image Imagine the inside of your life is like a house. And it says that when you put your faith in God, in Christ, Jesus, by his spirit, moves into the house. You give him control of the house. But the house has lots of rooms. And the scriptures talk about a stronghold of the enemy. That's a place in your house, in your life, where he's gotten access. He can't just come and jump into your house. The only way he can get in your house is if you let him in. So, so how do those strongholds happen in your life? Well, they can, they can be inherited from your ancestors, from your parents. But when you leave a door in your life open to sin and you just walk in it, it's an invitation. When you participate in an occultic practice, in a practice of worshiping something or someone that is not God, it's an invitation to Satan, hey, come hang out in my house. He doesn't leave your house because he's polite. He leaves your house because in the authority of Jesus' name, you break whatever that was and you send him on his way. That's really important. I would say that that happens to more of us than we'd like to think. There's a way out. But what this text is talking about is walking in this freedom day in and day out and day in and day out. And as you do, the kingdom of Jesus begins to live itself out in your life. What is true in the heavenlies begins to happen here on earth because your life is being lived out in his power. So, 
Last thing, he says, verse 18, pray. 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 Let me say it again. Pray. This is not magic. In this battle, prayer is fundamental. It's not praying. It's learning to live in communion with him so that his word and who he is begins to just fill your whole being. Pray. 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 We're going to close this morning in this way. I'm going to invite Josiah and the team to come. If you're here this morning and you're going, you know what? I think there's a room in my house that I just need to give over to him. I, I, it's, there's not freedom there. I'm going to invite you to come this morning and pray. They're going to sing while they sing or after they're done. I'll be up here. Ellen will be up here. Pat, Neil is around. Uh, there's others that would just pray with you about that. Or as you've heard this this morning, you know what? There's some places where I need to put up the shield of faith. Not just for you. If you're a parent here, you have the responsibility to hold up the shield of faith for your children. It's not this metal thing that you hold up. It's your obedience to him. It protects you and them. So maybe there's a place where your shield has fallen and you just want just to pray about it this morning. So we're going to celebrate this morning. You don't celebrate war. War stinks. But this war actually has already been settled. It's just learning to walk in it. And so we're going to celebrate that while we sing or when, when the group is done. If you want to just come and pray this morning, I want to invite you to do that. Let's stand and worship and celebrate the victory. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.